Welcome to Baking with House of Bread, and this is your host, Sheila McCann. So I began to record this episode, and then I wasn't seeing a light on the microphone. And so I checked the cords, and they're all plugged in. But then I checked a little more carefully, and my puppy had chewed the microphone cord. So if it sounds a little bit fuzzier today, it's because I'm using a different microphone and hopefully it'll work out. If not, I'm going to go buy a new one. But I did want to get this episode out because my goal is to try to get one out every couple of weeks. And the idea for this episode was generated from a question somebody had. So this woman has a full-time job. She also has children. So she has a difficult time fitting in the bread baking process, especially during the week. And on the weekend, she's often doing sports with her kids and whatever else. So she wanted to know how she could break up the processes. And so she's a pretty experienced baker. So I'm not going to cover so much about how to tell if you get to the good dough stage, the kneading and whatever else, but I am going to explain a little bit more thoroughly about the bulk fermentation, how to recognize that it's been finished or if it's over fermented um, and the reason why, because that's the time frame we're going to play with in this episode of trying to break it up in different steps. Now, in the bakery, we try this all the time, and I can tell you that it's got mixed results. One of the challenges or the must-haves is we've got to have our cinnamon rolls out of the oven by 7 o'clock. That's when we open. And ideally, they're out a little bit earlier. And that's really what sets the baking schedule. Um, so my bakers have to get to the bakery at 3.30 a.m. And what they do is they mix the grandma's white dough and then they go about m- making the other pastries. Um, by the time it's fermented enough in the bulk fermentation, which is the first hour and a half, then the grandma's white is ready to be shaped. And so what we do is we shape the cinnamon rolls and then They are like a bread in some ways. It's the same dough, right? So they rise again, and then they go in the oven. So we try to make the cinnamon rolls in advance, not bake them, and then put them in the refrigerator, and then pull them out of the refrigerator and bake them the next morning. Well, that didn't work. And I was hoping it would, because that would be super nice for people to make your doughs and your cinnamon rolls, you know, the night before, and then pull them out in the morning for breakfast and have you know, really good cinnamon rolls to serve people. Well, I'm afraid that there is a taste compromise and texture. It just, they were a little more denser and they weren't as good. So then I decided, well, let's try this. Let's do it again. And we'll pull the cinnamon rolls out of the oven. Or excuse me. We'll pull the cinnamon rolls out of the refrigerator. First thing, you know, like 3.35 a.m. Let them get to room temperature and then bake them off. Um, And they were better. They are better, but they weren't as good. So if you really want to do that at home, what you have to do is make the cinnamon rolls the night before. And you could probably get away with even um, the morning before. Put them in the refrigerator. And then when you get up first thing, take them out of the refrigerator. But you still got to give it a couple hours um, to get to closer to room temperature and um, and then it'll bake a little better. But I can tell you there is some taste compromise. Now the flip side is, is we've had to put doughs in the refrigerator because 
either the baker overestimates how much dough they need to produce the various items. So once again, get back to Grandma's White, where um, that's where you get your cinnamon rolls. We get raspberry swirl, cinnamon swirl, the cheese breads out of. And so it's nice because we have a few different varieties for people when we open the business. So they, whatever, they get it wrong. And then you got a bunch of dough sitting there and you really don't want to bake it off because if you don't sell it, then, you know, you, you can't sell it for very long. Um, so you can sell the bread. Basically, our policy is the day it's baked and the next day, and then you've got to either day old it or donate it. So the bottom line is that you want to be careful about over baking because you can over break and then you can basically, um, what I say is you can bake yourself broke. And sometimes, you know, you bake so much, well, no one there's buying it or not that much anyway. And then you're stuck with all this product. And then that really drives up your cost of goods. Those are your cost of ingredients and also even your labor costs. So you need the sales to match it. And honestly, this is the most challenging aspect of the bakery business is planning your production. So at home, you don't have the same concerns, right? So you're only making a, usually a couple loaves at a time. And so it's much easier. And I will tell you, that's one of the reasons I don't do farmer's markets anymore. And I feel for a lot of the bakeries that do because, you know, they'll do this big production and then, they get, then the farmer's market, for whatever reason, it rains out. So they cancel it and then you're stuck with all this product. Now, if I sold soap or something like that, like the other crafters there, it wasn't a big deal because they just pull it out the next day and sell it. Well, my products, well, I didn't have a market for it. So then like the rainy farmer's markets was when I decided that we're not doing farmer's markets anymore. Then, of course, we went into the drought stages in California and it, was, <laughs> it wasn't a concern. Uh, but I do feel for some of the um, local bakers, I just know how hard it is. So if you're not baking your bread at home, and you're not supporting these small little bakeries like House of Bread, make, make sure you are supporting your farmer's markets. Those are real people out there, and they're working hard, you know, from the farmers to the bakers and to the other crafters. I kind of have a soft spot for them because, and I saw what they did, you know, this woman was like triple washing her lettuce, and then, you know, she would sell and be there for, you know, four hours, and then she'd, you know, grow spot like a hundred and I don't know, $150, you know, so her profits really were, oh, I don't know, maybe 30 bucks. I mean, it was just like, whoa. But anyway, support your farmer's markets, support your local bakeries and bake bread yourself. Now, so for you busy people, here's some tips on how to accommodate that in your schedule. What I'm going to speak most about is your doughs that don't require refrigeration. As I've discussed in like my artisan sourdough episode is that, you know, refrigeration is part of the process, really. So you're delaying the fermentation because you're allowing the dough to develop more sourness. And so that's easy one. That's easy one to delay. And then there's the higher hydration doughs that often start with a like ciabatta starts with a poolish. That's not refrigerated necessarily, but it's, it's a multi-step process. And, and then it has a super long bulk fermentation. And I'm going to talk in length about bulk fermentation. It has, you know, it's like four hours long and you're stretching and folding every 45 minutes. In that particular dough, what I can tell you, though, is that I don't have any experience refrigerating it. But I have had a lot of experience with, you know, we've got to have ciabatta out of the oven for a special order at 11 o'clock. And then we got all this other stuff to do. So how we've shortened it a bit. One of the ways you can shorten up the, the proofing process in the ciabatta is make sure that you've got 
a little bit warmer of a water because generally with that recipe we put it in the water around 70 degrees which is pretty cool so think kind of cool water and so when you wash your hands you like your water about 90 degrees that's kind of warmer water that we typically use so we use a lower um, heat in the water and so we want to increase the fermentation that's going on in the ciabatta so we'll just increase the water temperature first and then you have your other doughs which i'm going to talk most about because that's what i'm most familiar with these are the doughs that are more of a, a one to two hydration. And what I mean by that, it would be one water to two flour. So it's a little bit of the stiffer dough and these are more of your sandwich breads. And it doesn't have to be exact. So what I mean by that is so if it's one cup of water to two cups of flour or one pound to two pounds or whatever your, whatever your system is, a one to two is, is what kind of what I'm talking about. And that's the dough where you're kneading and, and whatnot. And then it is also something that usually takes about three and a half hours. Um, and that's the bulk of your sandwich breads. So the episodes that I've covered is everything from your grandma's white to your honey whole wheat, to your, your grain beds, your spelt breads, um, and, and even the sweet breads, you know, whatever, and the hollas and the list goes on. That's the bulk of the breads that I've covered. And that's the bulk of the breads that we sell in my bakery. So I tend to try to talk more about what I know <laughs> and not what I hear. So, so those, that's what I know. Um, I also have had the unfortunate experience of having ovens break down on me and mixers. So it, it, there's not a lot I haven't seen. So you try to salvage what you can. We have put the dough in the refrigerator. We also put doughs that had already gone through the first rising time, the bulk fermentation, and then we shaped them, and then it was on the second rise. And so literally, we just stuck the pans full of dough in the refrigerator to be baked off at another time. I do know this. The window you have is not two days. <laughs> so four to eight hours is too long, unless you're talking sourdoughs. Uh, because we've tried to push it for two days and um, what happens is it over ferments. That's when it smells like alcohol. Um, so I'm going to cover the fermentation here a bit more. And then the end, I'm going to tell you what you can do. So yeah, so my experience is two days has been too long. One day, it's fine. Once again, this depends upon the dough. But I can tell you we do it often for Grandma's White because that's the, the biggest dough we do. We often overestimate what we're going to do with it. I mean, it's also something that we use for bagels, too. We find that the bagel dough is best thrown in the refrigerator for a day. Um, and after a couple days, it just really depends upon when it was put in the refrigerator and what stage. So there's too many unknown variables in that. So it often doesn't work out after two days. So try to stick to the one day in your mind of what you can do to ease some of the time constraints on the baking process. So I'm going to assume that you know how to knead the dough and determine when it's been kneaded long enough. So that's done correctly. So now the next step is your bulk fermentation. It's also known as the first rise or the rest stage. And this is where the dough matures, producing an enhanced structure, and it's designed to retain gas in the final rise. Uh, so we allow the dough to mature during the bulk fermentation stage in order for it to become a resilient structure. And that's what gives it strength, right? So when you're 
dough is rising, you see the bubbles, it's basically emitting carbon dioxide, and then the gluten structure allows it to capture. Um, and if you've ever made gluten-free bread, you're just missing the whole thing. It just doesn't happen. I covered it in that episode, but gluten-free bread, if you look at it when it's in the oven, it, it will get really high, and, you, and then, but it falls. It falls because it doesn't have a gluten structure. And um, so we need that to develop. And it also is where the flavor is determined. So if you think of it during the bulk fermentation, it what it's doing, it's creating organic acids and carbon dioxide gases. And each of them plays an important part in the dough development. The acid structure is primarily it gives the dough the flavor and strength. And so it, if you look at it this way, it's kind of like a conditioner on the gluten network. And then the carbon dioxide gives a dough volume and lightness, right? So that's the, the bubble action. And the factors that determine the length of the first rise includes, number one, what type of dough it is. Two, the hydration levels of the doughs. Um, usually the higher hydration doughs and usually the longer the fermentation time. And this is partly, too, because it's, those doughs are generally flour, water, yeast, and salt. Okay, so if you just mix flour, water, yeast, and salt and bake it off, it doesn't taste too good. Not only don't you have structure, but it just doesn't have that much flavor. Uh, the shorter bulk fermentation doughs, generally they have you add like either honey or, or eggs or butter. or So you're adding other ingredients. You're adding in some flavor because the dough itself with the slower, or excuse me, the shorter bulk fermentation time doesn't have that much flavor. Now, so that's why ciabatta, you need your four hours because otherwise it doesn't taste very good. I mean, same thing with some of your French uh, dough types as well. The other factors is temperature. Higher temperature, basically, it quickens up the activity that's going on in your bulk fermentation, so it happens quicker. The hydration levels of the dough, too. I already talked about that, but the development of the dough in the first rise is your bulk fermentation. So what you can do is some part of this process is potentially put it in the refrigerator. And what the refrigerator does, it cools down the dough and it slows down the production of gas. And this can help bakers um, help manage their timings and avoid sometimes a real early start in the morning. So how do you know when the dough's bulk fermentation is finished? Um, so the reason I'm going to discuss this a little bit more is because you really got to understand how to tell when it's done to know if your window of time that you can leave in the refrigerator is done. <laughs> in other words, you, you've got to shape the dough and you let it rise again and get it in the oven. Bulk fermentation can end once the gluten is strong enough to be shaped and there's there's got to be some gas activity happening. How you can tell if it's over fermented, dough is like really gassy and it's full of like uneven bubbles and it it'll it'll like if you touch it, it pretty much just collapses on you. At the same time is, is that this is how I tell if it's been fermented long enough. So what I do is we have these big mixing bowls, right? They're three feet big. I mean, we have a 140 quart mixer, um, which is six foot tall, taller than me. And so the bowls anywhere are pretty big. So I just put my hand on the dough and gently press. I should be able to indent there. It should be light and fluffy. So when the dough had first been mixed, it's um, more stiff. And then it loosens up with those gases being developed in the doughs. And so you can put like indents in your hand and at home, obviously you don't have a three foot mixing bowl, <laughs> but what you can do is just take your mixing bowl 
and maybe just shake it a little bit. That's kind of when I, we do pizza doughs at home. That's kind of what I'll do is to make sure it's been risen enough. And I shake it. And if it's kind of shakes around a little bit and maybe it deflates a little bit, then you know you're pretty good. If it's real firm still, then it needs to be fermented longer. The other issue is, is that a over-fermented dough is not just gassy. It also is hard to get it to shape properly. It will end up in like a weak, uneven crumb structure. That's a pretty common trait. The Lastly, you can smell it often. Like it's small, sometimes a small scent of alcohol. Sometimes it's like a really a whiff. Like I'd be walking by with the bakers doing it. I'm like, whoa, something's wrong here. Some mix got overlooked. So keep in mind, you know, in my bakery, they've got six mixes going on at one time or six dose proofing. And so they all got lids on it. And so, but I'm like, eh, I can smell alcohol in one of them. So it, that one needs to be shaped right away. I don't care about your schedule. The doughs are deriving the bread schedule, not the humans. And that one is starting to smell. So you got to get to it right away. Because really, once the dough is over fermented, there's no way to reverse it. If you look at it this way, it's just like baking. If you over bake a bread, you can't reverse it. Right? So you want to err on the side of less fermentation than more. Once it's over-fermented, if you suspect it's over-fermented, I would still bake it off because you got nothing to lose, but I would shape it and get it into the oven as quick as possible. It might turn out a little bit more rustic style. It could taste like alcohol, not really edible. <laughs> but it could also turn out that, yeah, it wasn't so bad. I mean, I've been surprised sometimes how things will turn out if we just give it a shot. Really, with time, you'll learn to read the signs of a sufficient fermentation and if the dough's strong enough, it's got the elasticity, the smoothness, the volume gain in the bubbly appearance. I mean, really, it's 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 easy for me to look at doughs. I don't even have to touch them anymore. But you don't want to be, do have to do this for 25 years to get to that point. <laughs> I understand that. Um, and it can be difficult to make the call. Cutting the bulk fermentation short might mean your dough won't be sufficiently fermented and you'll head toward an underproof result. On the other hand, if you push bulk fermentation too far, your dough will be hard to handle on the verge of overproofing. So there's the balance. But like I said, just like with baking, when in doubt, check it earlier than you think it'll be done. Because uh, you can always bake longer, but you can't bake less. And same thing with fermentation. You can always ferment a little longer, but it's hard to reverse it and go less. What I would recommend, in, especially if you're beginner bakers, take photos. Take photos and take notes and on your time and whatnot. And then your final result will tell you. Because it's nothing, I mean, it's happened to us too, is that we make this beautiful new bread. Everything just turned out great. And it's like, oh, wow, that was so easy. Let's recreate it the next day. Well, guess what? We tried to recreate it the next day and we weren't really quite sure how long it fermented or how long the mix was. And did we add flour or water? Eh, we don't really remember. So we tried to recreate it and then, it didn't turn out well okay well let's try to record it a little bit better now so so that's what i would start with and then you'll get it so how i would recommend breaking up the process to different days uh, one other point too i want to make before i go into this is that the refrigerator is a dehydrator okay that's why i recommend people don't refrigerate the breads because it basically increases the staling process so if the recipe doesn't call for a refrigerator or retarder in their process then I would add a little extra moisture to the dough because it's going to dry out a little bit more in the refrigerator. So the dough gets mixed. And so my general rule, everything needs to be mixed under the mixer. No 
shorter than five minutes. Generally, it, by the time you scale out the ingredients, get it mixed and whatever, it's 15 minutes. And you could take this dough that just got mixed before the bulk fermentation, and you could put it in the refrigerator overnight. And then you pull it out and you let it get to room temperature because that's when it'll, then you start back in the process. If my bulk fermentation time is one and a half hours and I put it in the refrigerator, well, there's still going to be some fermentation going on in the refrigerator, right? It's not going to be that great because it's cold, which slows it down or retards it. And that's why they often call these things retarders in the bakery world. If you have an hour and a half, what I would suggest is pull it out of the refrigerator, give it at least an hour or two thirds the time. So if it's a two hour fermentation, if you pull it out of the refrigerator, I'd give it an hour and a half. If it's an hour and a half, I'd give it about an hour. Um, and then do your kind of checks to see if it looks like it's, it's ready to be shaped. If it's super stiff on you, you might want to give it a little time. So cold doughs um, sometimes can get a little bit stiffer. Um, so let it warm up a little bit more if you need to. And then you can shape it and then you let it rise again. Okay, so that time is also dependent on temperature and the doughs and whatever else. But generally, it's much shorter time period. I would estimate about 20% of the time for your bulk fermentation. And um, so when we shape our loaves, it's a minimum one and a, one and a half hours, sometimes two hours for certain doughs. And then when it rises again in the pan, like I said, all doughs take different amount of time, but generally, let's just say 15 minutes. And if you're doing a real a drier dough, that'll take longer to proof up. Um, but I want it to hold together. For example, my honey whole wheats, because we use 100% whole grain breads. And then also, too, we don't use vital wheat gluten. To keep it strong, I want a little bit drier dough, so it takes longer to ferment. I don't run a really quick fermentation process in the second or the first rising because then what happens, your dough, your bread fall apart, right? And that's no good. So we don't want that. Anyway, so that's where you would pull it out, let it rise again, and then bake it. And like I said, this will work for some doughs, but not all. Uh, but the only way you're going to know is going to try it. And I will tell you that work for most of your white-based straight doughs that are going to be into sandwich breads. Now, it's a little more complicated with wheat breads, like I was suggesting, um, and for the higher hydration doughs, too. And it's easier on sourdoughs. Okay, so now the second scenario is you mix the dough for your scale it and mix it 15 minutes. Now you let it rise for about an hour or so. Okay, that's a preferred method because you really gave the dough a better foundation to be thrown in the refrigerator. Uh, and this is assuming recipes don't ask for you to refrigerate the doughs, right? And um, so I'd like to recommend is schedule your time so you have an hour and 15 minutes. I know that's not always possible, but ideally have an hour and 15 minutes so you can mix it, let it ferment for at least an hour, then put it in the refrigerator. And I can tell you that the majority of the time, if you, the next day, you pull it out, it'll work because it's worked for us. I mean, frankly, this is how we do our marble rye, right? So we don't make both the dark and the light uh, on the same day. Often we will make one or the other and then refrigerate it to use the next day with the other part of the marble rye. And so it's worked really easily. And then other times, oh, we have pizza doughs too. So we'll throw in doughs to use for pizzas. Then you can, you know when it's completely over fermented because it doesn't even hold shape. 
it goes back to, it's really becomes wetter again. So that's one way to tell. So this step, mix it, let it ferment for an hour, put it in the refrigerator, and then pull it out the next day and let it ferment again for about an hour, right? I kind of want it to get a little more closer to room temperature and then shape it, let it rise again, bake it. And I will tell you that the majority of time, this is going to work. Now, let's say you want to do it two days later. Eh, that's You're just increasing the odds it's not going to work. It's going to get over-fermented in that refrigerator. Like I said, it depends upon the dough. But I would not do plan on two days. I would plan on one day. And let's say you forgot about it, <laughs> you know, or whatever happened. It's two days has gone by with that dough in the refrigerator. Well, go ahead and try it. I mean, pull it out and kind of check, you know, if it has some life to it still. If it's just a messy, wet alcohol mess, then I'd probably take it and chuck it. But if you think, oh, it doesn't really smell like alcohol that bad and it's still got stump shape to it, try it. Try it and see what happens. Because I've been surprised how forgiving some of these doughs can be. And then I've also been surprised by how finicky and difficult some doughs can be. So you don't know until you try it. That's kind of my point here. Now, let's say you mix it and then you do the bulk fermentation for as long as it says, and then you shape the dough and then you want to refrigerate it for the last rise. Now, this has worked too, but again, it's very much dough dependent. Um, I will say that I recently had to do this with my oven wasn't working. And so my apple cinnamon swirls already shaped in the pans. It was about ready to go in the oven. Then my oven died. Well, I just put the pans, I stacked them right in the refrigerator. And the next morning we pulled them out and baked it off and it turned out great. But the difference about that apple cinnamon swirl, first of all, it's a white base bread. Cinnamon retards proofing. So that can be a good thing when you're trying to delay the proofing process by sticking it in the refrigerator, right? And so it worked very well for that dough. Now, if it was the grandma's white dough or honey whole wheat, I don't think it would have worked, but it totally worked for that dough. So I would give it a shot and see if it works. The next scenario, you mix it, you get the bulk fermentation, you shape it, the second rise um, happens. And rather than going into the oven, like it's ready to go to the oven, you put it in the refrigerator. Well, this is very unlikely that this is going to work because you're likely you're on the, it was already fermented sufficiently to be baked. And on, so you went through one fermentation and then two. And so then you put, put pop it in the refrigerator. I mean, really at that stage, the dough doesn't need any more fermentation and the retarder is not going to work instantaneously, right? So you put it in the refrigerator. It takes a while to get cold. It's not like it freezes. Boom, you're done. I, I would say that this is going to work for maybe some of the more hardier doughs can take this type of abuse. <laughs> That's really kind of what it is, uh, but it's not going to be worked down work for very many. What you could do on that occasion, and this is what we've done because we had to, for whatever reason, we didn't have a choice is we take the loaves out of the pans, put them in, together in a mass, and then we let them get to room temperature and then we shape them one more time and then let them rise and then bake it off. And that has worked. And I think it's because one, we deflate the gassiness of it when we um, throw it all together and then divide and shape again, because you're just reshaping it, letting it get to room temperature and then baking it. Just to repeat the scenario where you're most likely going to have success putting off something to the next day is 15 minutes mix, then need one hour fermentation, 
on the counter, room temperature, put it in the refrigerator overnight, and then come to it the next day. Now, you could wait till 36 hours later. What I find is a day and a half works pretty good, just like the day does. Um, two days, not so much. So then you come back to it and you pull it out and then you let it get to room temperature and just start where you let it off. Now that's more likely to work. And like I said, it can work where you get it right to the point where it was being ready to be baked and then you had an emergency and then you had to throw it in the refrigerator. So go ahead and try it. Don't throw it out at that point. But when you come back the next day and everything smells like alcohol and it's a wet mess, uh, you're better off just chucking and starting again. So the bottom line here is you really just got to experiment. Write down what you do, take some photos, and I really think you will find some success here. So there are some options for fitting in some bed production to accommodate your schedule. Uh, and I, you know, I wish there was a lot more to tell you about exactly, but I can tell you that we've done this, you know, whether by choice or not, um, and it's worked. The other thing what I've noticed in the baking world, there's so many bakers that tell you about absolutes that I don't really believe it <laughs> because I'm like, well, let's try it. You know, this recipe says it's, you know, this is, this is for sure how it is. This is science and fact. Well, I can tell you that, yeah, well, let's try it this way. They were incorrect. And so a lot of times they honestly believe that, but I can tell you that I've tried different things and I've had some really great successes deviating from those absolutes in the recipes. But then I can also tell you I've had some not so good, good results as well. Um, and you just have to try it. And that's really what the fun thing is about baking bread, right? It's not that simple. I mean, it's a little more complicated, but in the end, the results are, are awesome. You know, and even if you end up over fermenting and you bake it and it, you know, was beyond rustic, it was really pretty and awful loaf. Well, heck, at least your house smelled good during the time process. <laughs> so there's, there's one benefit to that. And I'm happy to um, try to help you answer any other questions. You're welcome to email me, but what really helps when people email me is to give me photos of what the doughs look like, and I can kind of tell a little bit by looking at it, give them a little bit better suggestion. And and like I said, I I don't have all the answers, right? I'm and I'm still learning, and that's why I like this business to this day because I really still like learning. So on that note, everybody, happy baking.